Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, April 14th, 2017. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 26, the first full paragraph that begins, Uh, a certain American businessman. Uh, Today's readers are Karen C. on the 12 Steps, Irini M. on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Chrissy G. and Linda R. Our second hour hostess is Maura Z. and our newcomer greeter is Linda R. Oh, wait, pre- oh, I'm sorry, the reference number for yesterday, Thursday, April 13th, 2017, for the 7 a.m. meeting is 9835, and for the 10 a.m. meeting is 9836. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine, we take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Karen C. to read the 12 steps of OA. Karen C, please press star one to unmute. Kathy, can you hear me now? Yes, now I can. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, thank you so much, Kathy, for allowing me to do service. This is Karen C from Indiana. I'm a very grateful, uh, recovered, compulsive overeater. Here are the steps we took, which I suggested as a program of recovery. Step one. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves would restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, 
and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Karen C. And I will now ask Irini M. to read the 12 Traditions of OA. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you so much for your service. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini M. from New York, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God, always giving credit where credit is due. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Least problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, 
films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I thank you and I pass. Thank you, Irini M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does require that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 26, the first full paragraph. Um, I will now ask Chrissy G., to get us started. Good morning, Kathy. Christy G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater and Anorexic from New Jersey. A certain American businessman had ability, good sense, and high character. For years, he had floundered from one sanitarium to another. He had consulted the best-known American psychiatrists. Then he had gone to Europe, placing himself in the care of a celebrated physician, the psychiatrist, Dr. Young who prescribed for who prescribed for him. Though experience had made him skeptical, he finished his treatment with unusual confidence. His physical and mental condition were unusually good. Above all, he had believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. So he returned to this doctor, whom he admired, and asked him point blank why he could not recover. He wished above all things to regain self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems. Yet, he had no control whatever over alcohol. Why was this? He begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He could never again regain his position in society, and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. That was a great physician's opinion. But this man still lives and is a free man. He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. 
He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. Oh, boy. Yes, a certain simple attitude. I'm Chrissy G. Um, What attitude do I have to have towards this disease, towards my higher power, towards this program? It's one of acceptance. It's complete surrender. I recently have been working with sponsees, a lot of a lot of people going back into the food. And it's interesting because we dissect why they picked up again and it's so vital. And I notice and, and I'm no different when I was in the food. There is an an unwillingness to want to shine a light on the disease and sort of just like, okay, this is what I'm going to resolve to do next time. There's, there's this feeling like, okay, I could win this thing. If I just do this, if I just read this, if I just, the bottom line is one has to suffer through the pain of not picking up when you want to in order to get to the other side. You know, that's the attitude we have to take. We have to take the attitude that you don't, you can't pick up no matter what when you're going through these steps. You have to have a certain attitude towards God that eating is none of my business anymore. My food is none of my business anymore. It's my nutritionists, it's my higher powers, and it's my sponsors. And and that's vital. It's vital. It's not going to get easy. I hear a lot of people trying to, you know, okay, well, if I get just the right food plan, then it's not going to be painful. And I'm just going to be able to do it. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to give in to the temptation. Not true. Not true at all. You know, it's, it's about an attitude. It's about, yes, I want to pick up more than I want to live at this point, you know, for like five seconds until we write it out. And we take an attitude towards can't do this no matter what, because I'm powerless. I'm not going to win at this game. I'm done. I'm defeated. So I, I, I just want to emphasize the point that it's not going to get easy, you know, especially the first couple of times you ride out the cravings. It's going to get harder before it gets easier. But you have to have this attitude, this attitude of surrender. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Christy G. Who would like to share on these four paragraphs? Harlan G. Tina S. Michael H. Okay, Harlan G. Tina S. Who did Michael I hear H. after Tina? Michael H. Michael H. Larry. Larry K. Vasa O. Lisa. Vasa O. And Lisa. Lisa, which? Lisa, which Lisa is that? Car Lisa. Car Lisa. Your first initial? C. C. Thank you. And Nessa R. We'll start with those. We have Harlan G., Tina S., Michael H., Larry K., Vasa O., Carlisa C., and Nessa R. And I'll catch the rest in our second part. Please go ahead, Harlan. Thank you very much, Kathy, and thank you to Team Friday for making this great meeting very possible. And 
Uh, I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are talking about an extremely significant historical event here. We have Roland Hazard, a very wealthy industrialist who came from an old American wealthy family, old, old money, lots of money, Rhode Islanders. And Roland is looking for a solution to his alcoholism. He consults Sigmund Freud. Freud's not taking any new patients. He consults Adler. Adler's not taking any new patients. He goes to Switzerland, the number three man, Dr. Jung, Carl Jung. And from 19, early 33 to early 34, Roland is being treated by Dr. Jung in Europe, in Switzerland. And he stays sober. Early 34, Roland is released from care by Jung. Roland goes home to America, but he doesn't go directly to America. He has to go to Paris, France first. And from Paris, he is to get an ocean liner to take him back to the States. He meets up with two friends of his parents in Paris who want to celebrate Roland's sobriety by busting a bottle of the bubbly. Roland is dead drunk in Paris, France. He goes back to Jung. Jung tells him that he is an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. Early 34, spring of 34, Roland is bewildered. He is befuddled. He goes to the doctor. He's, he can't believe what the doctor is telling him. And what we're going to find out next week, we're going to have to wait, is that the doctor is going to give him a little ray of hope. Now, if Freud had taken on Roland as a patient, Freud and Adler believed that all solution lie within the mind. Jung broke rank with Adler and Freud because he believed, as we're going to find out next week, that there is and there are people who have experienced sudden and profound spiritual experiences. And when he talks about at the top of 27, that certain simple attitude, that attitude we're going to find out is going to be dependence upon a higher power, which is where he broke rank with Freud and Adler. Is it odd or is it God that Roland got to Jung rather than Adler and Freud? There was nothing that could be done. No one had seen anyone recover from alcoholism, but we're going to see next week, same bat time, same bat channel, that a recovery is going to be affected in Roland through his entrance into the, in the States of the Oxford group movement. He's going to have his spiritual awakening. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're just between Jung and Roland. And this is historical stuff because this is your flashpoint of step two. Bill Wilson knew the problems. He got that from Silkworth. Now, through a series of situations, through Ebby, he's now going to find out the solution. We talked about this in Bill's story, but this is the backstory on it. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. Tina S., please go ahead. 
Thanks, Kathy, for your service. Tina S. Recovered Compulsive Eater Anorexic in Florida. Wow, thanks, thanks, Harlan, so much for the historical information. I'm, I'm real grateful for that. And, you know, one of the things that I know today is um, when I came in, in 1987, I went to treatment. They gave me the big book. You know, we ate abstinently. It was a wonderful thing, you know, and we read this stuff in the big book, and all I could do was compare. You know, I wasn't in another country. I, w- I wasn't in this time in the 30s, you know, this is different, I'm different, you know, so instead of identifying, I certainly compared, and, and, you know, today I'm real grateful that, you know, my disease kept bringing me back, you know, and um, ultimately today, you know, I am that person that he talks about that I am utterly hopeless, and I'm also grateful that it was just mentioned, you know, on my own, I'm screwed, I left this treatment facility, and I was like, I got it. You know, and uh, bottom line is I got deeper and deeper into the disease of uh, compulsive eating, you know, and and today I know that, you know, lack of power is my dilemma and, um, you know, and I need a power greater than myself who restores me to sanity. So one day at a time, I don't have to do what I used to do, that I can choose to do something different today and to work these steps. And, And what a gift, what a gift, because Still today, on my own, I'm screwed. And if I don't pick up this simple kit of spiritual tools daily, one day at a time, I, I won't have a shot. When I do, I have a shot, and I'm real grateful. So thanks. I'll pass. Thank you, Tina S. Michael H., please go ahead. Good morning, Vision. This is Michael H., recovered from Illinois. May I be heard? Yes, you can. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Um, this is a, a wonderful, wonderful story. It looks like Mr. Roland Hazard uh, plugged himself into what it talks about earlier, a middle-of-the-road solution um, for his for his malady. And this just reminds me of uh, the winter before last, I entered into something very similar. I had already been in, in therapy for for my well, my disease, but what I, I didn't know that was my malady. I was just trying to get better. I had many middle-of-the-road solutions, but the winter before last, I ran across a a program from a, from a fellow in, in another program who turned me on to this program about communication, this, this big, big idea that, that this non-communication theory, I'm sorry, this violent communication, nonviolent communication theory could could really change my life. And so I, I bought this book and I plugged into hours and hours of study and hours of, of YouTube video listening and practicing. And I really thought that this middle of the road solution would would cure me. It would it would fix my relationships. Um, of course I would stop picking up the food and what was ultimately killing me, I would stop doing that uh, because I, I too, like Roland, was was hopeless, as the doctor would later tell him here. Um, and I discovered that it wasn't long. Literally within a month, I I was deeper in the food and deeper in my problems than than even I was before. And uh, it wasn't until I plugged into to this solution. Um, which ultimately has brought about abstinence and sanity, um, was I able to, uh, you know, discover something that actually worked. And and I, too, 
live as a free man today. I, I most days am, at least for part of the day, am happy, joyous, and free. And uh, and that that's all I have for today. Thanks for letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you, Michael H. Larry K., please go ahead. Okay. Thanks so much, Kathy. Can you hear me okay? I can. Thank you. Okay. Good, good, good. Thanks, Larry K., recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Yeah, I like what Michael had to say about being a free man. Me too. Um, you know, this This is, like Harlan shared, you know, this is, this is really, really vital stuff here. Um, Jung was... Again, he was part of that Freudian. He was the heir apparent to Freud, that whole psychoanalytic movement. And, uh, and he did break off. Now, Roland Hazard showed up, and they didn't spend, you know, you go to a therapist, you spend 55 minutes talking about yourself a bit. That wasn't the way it was. He spent a lot of time with Jung, and Jung, you know, tried to effectuate some sort of change in him to the best of his ability. It didn't work. You know, what separated Jung from Freud, Freud was a, was a professed uh, atheist, and um, no judgment, it's just that that's part of history. Um, Jung, over the door at his house in Zurich, Jung had inscribed uh, the following. It says, whether summoned or not, God will be present. That's important because you can see where I say that and share that in the context of what we're reading this morning because you can see where Jung, while he was a psychiatrist, he was, at the, he was a pioneer of, of that psychoanalytic movement, he nonetheless was uh, very spiritual. He wasn't religious. He broke away from his religious upbringing, but he was spiritual, and he believed in a power greater than himself, and that's what he eventually shared with Rowan Hazard. My belief is that if we treat this program, this 12-step this program, as something other than the spiritual toolkit, we will get something different. You can get benefit. Just like I can get benefit from a diet, I can get benefit from exercise, I can get benefit from all those things. But what I know today is this spiritual program results in a complete spiritual transformation, a spiritual awakening. A, a complete restructuring. That's what eventually happened to Roland Hazard. That's the same very thing, same thing happened to me. And that's an entirely different, this recovered state of being that God brought me to. That's an entirely different thing. And that's why I think Jung was such a pivotal, pivotal um, person in our whole uh, evolution uh, as a fellowship here because he dealt with the ultimately the trajectory of a solution to our problem. Lack of power, we're going to have access to a power. No spirituality, no connection to a higher power, just treating this as a diet, then that's all you will get as a physical solution. So, um, so very grateful for Jung and the other pioneers. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry Kay. Rasa O, please go ahead. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Kathy, for your service and grateful recovered compulsive reader from Florida. And I just love hearing the stories, you know, how AA started years ago. I forget, you know, and I'm it's so it's really blessing to 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 go 
back again, and I love going to the Roseanne Rose S. from California that started the OA meetings. And it's just, you know, it's amazing. And uh, this is my treatment. This is my solution after suffering with the food addiction for many, many, many years. And I try to have a control over it. I, again, for me, I was just so thrilled to find out about the, the twofold disease, the allergy, the mental obsession. I had no clue about any of this stuff. And uh, and I said, he, uh, he begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. And in the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He could never regain his position in society, and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. That was great physician's opinion. And I remember when I was deep into my food addiction, and I remember saying, you know, the insanity, I remember saying, well, if my husband just locks me in the bedroom and I can't get out to get the food, I mean, how insane this is. Crazy then I won't be able to eat the food, then I'm going to lose the weight. And, and, of course, I had a child. I mean, this was insane. You know, I could never leave my child there, you know, baby. But, you know, I was so, so, so deep into it. I wasn't, my thinking was not rational. And, uh, again, I'm just so grateful to be here with all of you. And I, I know, like, in the you know, when I came to my first meeting, they read how the program worked, and they said, we beg you to come back. I said, oh, these people are begging me to come back? Oh, maybe I'll come back, you know. And I am just so, so, so grateful. I have found this big book. I mean, this is where the treatment is. This is what the solution is for me. Maybe other people have it out there somewhere else. But this is mine. Thank you for Thank you very much for letting me share that. Thank you, Vasa. Oh, Carlisa C., please go ahead. Thank you for your service. Carlisa C., uh, recovered in Washington, D.C. I just want to say, oh, happy day, oh, happy day, oh, happy day, because there, this is um, one of my favorite uh examples in the big book, this and the man of 30 and the jaywalker, but really the little example of it's sort of like trying to cure yourself of a a headache by slamming a hammer into your your head. All of these examples are me. Um, And certainly when I came um, finally at a bottom, to my uh, 12, to the feet of my 12-step sponsor, my first sponsor in my first fellowship, um, and said, you know, I don't have any willpower. And she released me and relieved me and said, oh, that's good, because you're not going to need willpower. So I completely identified when this man asked, uh, he wished above all things to regain self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems, yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. Why was this? So even with this, he is inquiring. You know, my inquiring mind 
educated, and uh, my probably my biggest character defect is know-it-allism. I think I have an answer to everything. I think that um, that if I don't, I'm wrong not to have it. And and what I've what I've learned through working the steps is that self-sufficiency, self-reliance, self-pity, selfishness, self-centeredness. All of these are really the core of my problem, not the solution to my problem. And I used to have it quite in reverse, sort of like the relationship with food. I, you know, I would go to food as a solution to my problem, but it was not the solution that I needed, <laughs> you know. I thought, you know, I went to food as a comforter. And so, I, you know, it's sort of also like I used to think that certain types of behavior were loving only to find that my mind was twisted and it was really abusive. So the hands-down biggest renewal that I go through on a daily basis, sometimes on a nanosecond basis, is the renewal of my mind, the refreshment of my mind. This mental, because all of this stuff that we're talking about right here leads to the mental obsession. You know, this if, if he doesn't get a solution, he, Mr. Hazard, doesn't get a solution, he will drink again. And so that's why the, do, the doctor answers him bluntly, and I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Carlisa C. Nessa R., please go ahead. Thank you. Um, good morning. This is Nessa R. Recovered in Toronto, Canada. Um, like um, other people have done so eloquently before me, I want to talk about what is this simple attitude. Um, somebody is unmuted and maybe shuffling in the kitchen. If you could please um, remute, would be great. Um, the simple attitude is what we talked about at the bottom of page. What we read about in the uh, bottom of page 25 that. There is no middle-of-the-road solution. There is no easier, softer way. And I, I know that. I know there's no easier, softer way because I tried to find it for 45 years until I got to nearly um, 200 pounds, and I never found a middle-of-the-road solution or an easier, softer way. You know, and that is because I have, I have only one problem, but I have two solutions. My, my problem is powerlessness. My, po my problem is powerlessness driven by the fact that I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, and my two solutions are two powers greater than myself. You know, one of those powers is the food, and another one is, of course, God. And, you know, both of them are greater than me. Um, they're just different in that the the, 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 the the food wants me to die, and God wants me to live, and not only live, but live happy, joyous, and free. And it's, it's, it's what it says in page, I think it's 45, where it says, you know, either God is everything or else he is nothing. And the, actually, the way I modify that a little bit, the way I say it is either God is everything or the food is everything, because I am going to have a higher power no matter what. Um, the question is, which one is it going to be? And every decision that I make throughout my day, 
whether whether directly related to the, the food or, or seemingly unrelated to the food, is either going to bring me closer to God or closer to the food. And that's why there is no middle-of-the-road solution. Uh, and as long as I remember that, as long as I maintain that simple attitude, which I can only do when I am um, conscientiously working the 12 steps um, of Alcoholics Anonymous in entire abstinence, then I am able to maintain that, that simple attitude. If I um, get off that path, then doesn't become um, so easy and I can forget. And then I'll be making a decision that the food is everything. But today, uh, as a recovered person, I choose not to do it. I choose um, God um, to be everything and remain um, happy, joyous, and free in a normal-sized body. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Uh, okay, we can take a few more names. Who would like Lisa to? Lisa B. Edie. Shannon S. Shannon S. Okay, let, let, me, let me get these down. Um, uh, Lisa B. I got Lisa B, Irini M, Shannon S. Who else? Monica T. Monica T. Say it again, please. Kim G. Kim G. And Melissa C. Okay, let's stop there, and I think we'll be able to get all of you in. Lisa B., please go ahead. Good morning. Can you hear me, Kathy? This is Lisa B. Yes, I can. Thank you for your service. This is Lisa B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you for all the shares. Uh, This reading is so powerful. It does bring all the hope. But, you know, what it shows me is the amazing, as we've heard one of our co-fellows refer to it as the chessboard of our program, it shows me that there really is a higher power, um, a divine plan at work. And all this is going on with Roland Hazard. It's just amazing that he got to work with Dr. Carl Jung instead of the other two doctors. And what would have happened, you know, had he worked with the other two doctors? And then how uh, Roland Hazard is eventually going to go and work with Ebby, and then Ebby went to work with Bill. But um, the main thing that jumped out at me is he wished to regain self-control. Well, when I first met my um, very first recovered OA sponsor. Um, I never worked with a recovered person before going through these steps. I didn't know what the recovered person meant that uh, suffered from this malady. And when I went on a food plan and it was suggested that I weigh and measure, I did not want to do that. I thought that's just going to aggravate the disease of control even more. But the, the amazing thing that happened for me is that I became more free. Having a parameter of a food plan and guidelines, it gave me more freedom. And then she said, you know, once she knew that the food was down and I had a clear understanding, I had a clear understanding of what my alcoholic foods and food behaviors were, she said, let's get into the work and into the steps. And um, the inner workings of his mind, the hidden springs, you know, when I began to have an inkling that something is different about me with food compared to other people. I didn't see the panic in their eyes when I talked to them about what was going on with me and the food. I could tell they just didn't understand. They had a big question mark on their face. I thought I could just get self-knowledge. You know, that never worked. The other thing that comes to me with this reading is that this disease is no respecter of persons. He is a very wealthy man. He, only, he also comes from a loving family. 
they really, really loved him. They sent him to all kinds of places. I think they even sent him to a remote island. They did so many things, trying to help their son that they loved get well. So it's no respecter of person or status. Then the whole truth, you know, for me, that set-aside prayer really, really helps. Because I'm blind, I don't know I'm blind. And I have prejudices, I don't know that I have prejudices about that set-aside prayer really, really helps me. And then when it talks about on page 101, the alcoholic mind, it says, we meet these conditions every day. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with his spiritual status. That's the crux of what, what Roland is going to be learning. That's his key to freedom. I've heard the 12 steps being referred to as a shortcut to um, getting a spiritual awakening. It's just the greatest gift, you know, to all of us here, to humankind, these 12 steps. And then, um, oh, I didn't look the part. That's the other thing. You know, he doesn't look the part. He probably looked very fashionable and great. I didn't have a lot of weight. You know, and for a long time, I thought that I'm not as bad as you guys, but I'm grateful that I was able to see that um, it's a disease that we get to diagnose ourselves, and that I saw I am a hopeless alcoholic, just like Bill Wilson, you know, I was able to identify in, and um, I surrendered only by the grace of my higher power. So with that, I pass. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Lisa B. Edini M., please go ahead. Press star one, Edini. Thank you, Kathy. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, thank you. Good morning, good morning, good morning, my spiritual fellows. My name is Edini M. from New York, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. It states he believed that he acquired some profound knowledge, and supposedly from that he concluded with his attitude. Well, it doesn't matter what we believe in and what our our opinions are, and it doesn't matter how we feel, because I know I could never depend on my thinking, and I couldn't depend on my opinions, because thinking and opinions change. I also couldn't depend on my feelings because feelings throughout one day changed. What we can depend on is the truth because the truth never, ever changes. And the truth is that knowledge cannot restore our sanity. Doctors or professional people or facilities cannot help us conquer that obsession of the mind. There's no location or place or friend that can help us against that first bite. The truth is we need a power greater than ourselves to be saved from ourselves. The truth never changes and is always the same every time, everywhere. The truth is we need God to rewire our minds, to cleanse our hearts, and to fill our souls. It is only the truth that can set us free. Tradition 3 states the desire is to stop eating compulsively to be a fellow member of this spiritual community. And it is only God that can give us this desire of our hearts. But if you don't have that desire in your heart, then it's okay for now. The time will come 
when you'll have that desire. But first, the most important thing is to get out of isolation and get connected. And once you're connected with our fellows, you will be connected to God. So we need to be connected in order to get the right access, the right power to transform us. It becomes inevitable to get abstinent and then to start awakening to the truth that gives us the gift of recovery by meeting God halfway. Everything that we have is a gift. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Irini M. Shannon F., please go ahead. Good morning, everybody. Shannon S. Recovered in Buffalo, New York. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Good morning. Thank you, Kathy, for your service, and thank you, everybody on the line and everybody who made this meeting possible. Um, reading through these paragraphs, I was just reminded of the fact that I actually graduated with a degree in psychology, and so I thought that I knew everything. And um, so I had enough self-knowledge to solve my problem and solve everybody else's problem also, and um, I was going to fix myself. And instead, just as it says in the big book, is self-knowledge availed us nothing. I had all the knowledge in the world, and I, my disease just kept progressing. I just kept getting worse. And um, my, you know, my parents, and then even as I grew into a young adult, I, you know, I had been to counselors and therapists and psychiatrists and pastors and and everything else. And um, I knew in my heart that something was wrong with my eating, but because I didn't score exactly, um, fit the criteria on the on the inventory test, I was told time and time again that I'm I'm fine. You know, just just limit my um, my food intake to this, or just limit certain ingredients to that, or certain nutrients. And um, I just kept spiraling more and more out of control. So from there. I concluded I wasn't told that I was hopeless like um like it talks about here but I concluded that I was hopeless because I knew that I had a problem I didn't know what it was I had knowledge the people the quote unquote experts told me I didn't have a problem so I must be hopeless because something was seriously wrong with me and there was no way that I was going to to get out of it and so then I had a really bright idea um after I had my first child and I was very deep in the the disease, mostly of restriction at that point, Um, I thought, I'm going to go back and get a master's degree. And I went and got a master's degree in exercise science and health promotion. And I could develop a food plan and an exercise plan for anybody in the world. But when it came to doing it for myself, I, I couldn't do it. I might devise this great thing, but then after a day or two, forget it, I'd be off and running in disease. And, um, and it's so, it's so interesting that um, all that knowledge in the world didn't do anything. But here at the top of 27, it just says willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. It's so simple, not easy, but simple. These 12 steps, I've read, you know, 12 times 12 books, and that got me nothing. And what I need here is the 12 steps. And so I need to go through those 12 steps. And once I did, and once I did with a recovered fellow, my whole life changed. And that hopelessness disappeared because now I had a design for living and it wasn't about me. I needed a 
spiritual solution. I didn't need an intellectual solution. And so now today I have the the honor of living in steps 10, 11, and 12, and therefore working all the steps on a daily basis, and I get to maintain this simple attitude day after day, and I get to carry that to other people. And um, by the grace of God, I'm recovered and absent today. Thank you all. Have a great day. Pass. Thank you, Sharon S. Uh, Monica T., please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So here we are. We're in There is a Solution. We are learning it's about Roland Hazard, and it's already been said. This is a, He's a multimillionaire. He's a Yale graduate. This guy's got money. He's got prestige he's he's smart but yet he is a floundering alcoholic who has gone from sanitarium to sanitarium from psychiatrist to psychiatrist trying to get well and he spends not just 30 days but a whole year with dr young in treatment and like harlan still said you know he's sober during that year when he's doing all this treatment and studying with dr young And he believes he's acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind. And at Hidden Springs, that relapse wasn't thinkable. You know, I I can identify with this, you know. Go to um, get the weight off, learn about things, and I think I got this figured out. Look, I've been good here for so long. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. How baffling, you know. He could give himself no satisfactory explanation. You know, how demoralizing this must have been to him. And it was to me. I really wanted to stop. Why is it I can't stop? I'm successful with this. I'm successful at that. At everything else I've wanted to do except for this. What is wrong with me? So it was said. He gets drunk before he gets back on the boat. So he returns to Dr. Young. And thank God. You know, Dr. Young could have said, well, hey, Roland, come on in. I got a couple more tricks up my sleeve we can try here. But he didn't do that. He told Roland Hazard, you are in a bad place here. You know, you're, you're hopeless. You're utterly hopeless. But Dr. Young does have something that he's going to give to Roland that is going to make all the difference in the world for him. <clears throat> and it was something I wanted to read in my book here that, I, that someone on this line said a long time ago, and I loved it. Every time I enter the boxing ring with my determination, with my willpower, with my self-knowledge, against the obsession of my mind, I will get bloodied every single time. And I did. I am powerless over this. I need a power greater than myself, and that is found by working these steps, and that power is God. And obviously, the next, the last paragraph we read on Roland here, I got hope in here. This man still lives, and he's a free man. He can go anywhere. So Dr. Young gives him the solution. We're going to find out what that is. And he uses it, and he works it, and he's a free man. And um, that's been my uh, experience with working the 12 steps. You know, my smart, keen, alcoholic mind didn't do it for me. I needed help from God. Thank you, and I pass.
Thank you, Monica T. Uh, Kim G., please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I just love Roland Hazard. You know, Professor Harlan gave us some good information about the context there, but the, the other context I would like to bring up is with this being the 1930s, this is during the Great Depression. You know, people, it's like a 25% unemployment rate, people are waiting in bread lines. But Roland Hazard, he comes from money. He comes from old money. His family loves him, and they have access to everything. And I love that because that busts some of my delusions. Because, you see, I thought my problem was I wasn't properly financed. You know, if I had a personal chef, I would be able to be obstinate. If I had a personal trainer, I could get down to my, my goal weight. If I had that right boyfriend, that love of that boyfriend would keep me sober. You know, I came in in the 1990s. I thought if I got into that Dr. Phil house, then I would be able to be okay. You know, today, I would think if I could get on the biggest loser, man, if I had Delvet as my trainer, I could lick this thing. And you can see here in the sentence I love, he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Unfortunately, the next sentence is, nevertheless, he was drunk in a short, in a short time. So I thought that's what I needed to do. I needed to acquire knowledge. It was a very popular book. I'm not going to mention it. Um, in the 1990s that we all had in, in our trunks in a way, and we would pass it around. And it would explain addiction in, in, in the context of food. It was very interesting information. And I thought knowing that information would be enough to convince me not to eat. You know, today they actually have proof. They have proof that, that sugar and opioids have a similar withdrawal. They have pictures of our mind lighting up the same way with certain food substances as they do with drugs. But that information doesn't stop me from doing the drugs any more than it stopped rolling from drinking, having all that information. You know, gratefully on Monday, we're going to learn what the real solution is. But right now, I had to identify in and I had to be smashed that delusion that having enough money, having that right relationship, having the right information was going to stop me from taking that first bite. Because the real insanity is not when I'm three you know, donuts into a dozen donuts. My real power is my real insanity is why do I make that decision to have that first bite which triggers the allergy and at that point it's a biological function. So I'm going to need a power greater than myself, something to intercede in the thinking that will stop me from taking that first bite, and that we will learn on Monday. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Um, Melissa C., you'll be our last share, and I'd like to ask you to shorten your share to two minutes. Thank you. Hi. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And um, you know, it just points out that the answer to my solution is not found in my thinking. You know, knowing the inner workings of my mind is interesting, but it cannot offer me freedom from the food addiction. Um, you know, self-knowledge might explain why I behaved in such a manner, but it doesn't keep me from repeating the same behaviors. You know, I can point out um, 
or have pointed out to me that, yeah, you do this because you crave approval and attention and, you know, the, you're the youngest child in a large family and, you know, but knowing this about myself didn't get me to stop self-seeking behaviors. You know, what's allowed me to become recovered is the steps, is that there's the spiritual awakening. What is required is a spiritual awakening and not a Melissa awakening. You know, I didn't really need to know myself better. Um, I needed a certain simple attitude, and um, and that's what it is, a simple attitude, not a complicated attitude. Um, I cannot focus on getting what I want. Um, I have to focus on acceptance of um, life the way that it is and looking to be useful. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And it's now time to close our meeting this first hour at least. Thank you to everyone who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today's meeting, 7 a.m. on April 14th, is 9839. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Linda R., would you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. This is Linda R., recovered in South Florida, and thank you for allowing me to do service today. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thanks. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road to a happy, of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>